0: Well, hey guys, um, Grant, Rachel, thank you so much for this opportunity to say a few things. When Grant asked me a couple weeks ago to uh, say a little something. I said, yeah, sure, and totally forgot about it. And then last Sunday, he's like, so, how about next week? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's kind of soon. Okay. So I got to work, and uh, I wanted to thank Natalie especially for uh, blessing me to keep me on track, Don and Richard, my in-laws, for watching the, uh, the kids over the week, or this weekend, excuse me. So I had plenty of time to get in and figure out what I was going to do. So at first... I thought, man, there's a lot of things you could talk about. Um, Try and stay with the themes that we've had here in the church and try and talk about things that I like and that I'm good at and that are easy for me. Uh, But instead, I jumped into a, a book I read years ago called Servant Leadership Modeled by Jesus. So, of course, when I went to go find that book, it's been gone for years. I have no idea where it went, but I was able to pull a few things out of my memory and just relate it to my day-to-day experience. And the big thing I wanted to talk about is that we're all leaders. I'm a leader at work. I got a rank. I got title. I get paid to do certain things. But that's just one aspect of leadership. Even if you're only in charge of one person and that one person is six months old, you're still a leader. So your opportunity to influence people in that one-time interaction for 30 seconds, that year-long relationship that you've developed, whether or not you're related to them, is all opportunities for a leader, or to be a leader, to be in leadership. So, the best thing to do with that is to model our behavior off of who else other than Jesus, who is God on earth, because you really can't beat that. So, and we're all going to try for that for the rest of our lives, don't worry, but it's a worthy endeavor, right? So, <laughs> Thank you for that. All right, so where was I on here? Uh, so other the ways that I lead, like I just said, I do it at work. I enjoy it. I love it. One of my best memories is when they gave me uh, eight trucks, 40 airmen, and a bunch of uh, rifles hooked up for laser tag. And we went and played in the woods for four days straight. I loved it. There's nothing else quite like it. Not everybody's going to get the opportunity to do that. And that's just fine. Some people don't like that. Some people don't want to do that. But for me, it was great, and that's when I really started to uh, love being a leader again in the Air Force. For a long time, I'd been what we call a desk jockey. i do a lot of desk work, a lot of email, a lot of spreadsheets, and it was slowly killing me, quite honestly. So when I see the opportunity to interact with people, to do personal leadership, to do that kind of uh, leadership, mentoring, coaching, teaching um comforting those kind of skills that's when i really come alive so i'm blessed to do that but i also lead at home and it's not me versus my wife it's me and my wife leading together to figure out how we're going to lead our household how to raise our kids what we're going to do with our finances our time on sunday etc etc and then uh, other opportunities you get for leadership is you ever been with a group of your friends and everybody's like hey what do you want to do i don't know what do you want to do and everybody works together, uh, or one person is like, I know, let's go to the movies. Let's go do this and so. Or they just naturally steer that conversation one way or the other. They have this unusual weightiness to what they say and how they act, and that's just another form of leadership. So there's some broad brush strokes about leadership. It applies to everybody. So anybody sitting here going... Eh, I don't really do that in my life. Well, you do, and you have those opportunities. I just want to tell you a bit about what Jesus did and how he did it, not to say, hey, you should do it this way, you, Kobe, you're not doing it right. No, not like that, but to recognize that we have these opportunities and how to model our behavior off of the perfect example that we were given 2,000 years ago. All right, thank you. So let's go straight to scripture. I had some slides in the NIV, but uh, I think I broke the computer, so I'm sorry about that. I don't know what happened. I do got my passion translation here in front of me, so it's not going to sound exactly like um, the NIV or whatever Bible version you have, but the passion does bring out some good stuff. It makes you think about it a little bit more, even if it sounds a little different from what you've heard in the past, which is not a bad thing to make you think critically about what you're listening to. So the scripture I wanted to start with was uh, the two types of leadership we got. It's in Mark 10, verse 42 in here somewhere. Jesus presents to us the world's leadership and then heavenly leadership pretty much back to back. Hmm, it seems to be the one I didn't tab out here. That's all right.
1: That's all right.
0: So, uh Mark 10:42, Jesus called them together. So, he's talking to his apostles at this point or disciples. And he said, "You know that uh, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Doesn't sound very good, does it? The words Lord is a verb. We talk about Lord. The Lord is great. The Lord is amazing. Very few times do we say, hey, I'm going to Lord this over you. I'm going to keep reminding you that you are inferior to me in a negative sense, especially when it's among people. And the second one is exercise. It almost sounds like I'm going to reach out and affect your life just because I can. So that's worldly leadership or an example right there. So, Jesus' next, very next line in Mark 40, or 10:43 is not, not so with you. So he says, this is the world's leadership. Don't do that. Do not be like that. He carries on to say, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that is the NIV right there, and I like that, especially the did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, the Passion Translation changes it up just a little bit. and says, uh, starting at 43, you are to lead by a different model. If you want to be the greatest one, then live as one called to serve others. The path to promotion and prominence, which we all want, let's be honest, comes by having the heart of a bond slave who serves everyone. For even the son of man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone, and to give his life as the ransom price in exchange for the salvation of many." You can't beat that one right there. So here we got the world's leadership in one verse, heavenly leadership in the following verses. It's a great juxtaposition. Hey, don't do this, do this, and then Christ is the example in that. Like I said, my favorite one is, did not come to be served, but to serve. Just sums it up perfectly. In order to be the leader of all, you need to serve all. It's not about, uh, well, think about the time of Jesus. You had kings, you had emperors, you had princes. Everybody who was doing things for themselves. They lived in great castles, mighty towers. They had all the nice things in life. Why? Because everyone was serving them, and they took from their people. Whereas Jesus came and was the least among these, innocent and held almost nothing in this world, just his relationship with his disciples. He owned no property. He didn't travel far. He didn't command great legions. Instead, he had his close followers, an awesome relationship with God, being the son of God, and his willingness to speak the truth wherever he went, and a mighty anointing on his life. So, it's pretty good there, but wildly different between the two. So, Easy forms of leadership to recognize, though, let's talk about day-to-day leaders. Everybody recognize, "Ah, oh, my boss, they're obviously a leader, whether you like them or not. Your government officials, your police, chief, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. They all have titles and authority, and that's a form of leadership. Then there you get to your more informal leadership, where you have to have buy-in from your people, such as spiritual leadership right there. People are here because they want to come, because we have a yearning in our heart for spiritual leadership. Like I talked about early, family leaders, friends, or leaders out of our friends, et cetera, and et cetera. Those aren't titles. Those aren't positions, but they are every bit as important, if not more important, than the ones where people get paid to boss people around. So where am I going with this? Talking about Uh, an image of leadership, if you will. There was a great guy, Dr. John Mott. He was a turn-of-the-century missionary leader who reignited uh, worldwide ministry right when it was starting to flag, like right about the 1900s. He took charge of a big organization that he started to try and reinvigorate missions to the nations, getting out of Europe and America and going all around the world. His version of leadership and how he summed it up was, a leader is a man or woman who knows the road, who can keep ahead, and can, who can pull others behind him, or after him, excuse me. So I love that because it's illustrative. You can imagine, hey, I'm on this road, and where are we going? Well, depends on what you're doing. We're talking about an earthly job. Hey, we're building a building. OK, that's our road. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the work myself. I'm going to teach so-and-so how to do it. I'm going to help them figure out how we go about this. Now, if you expand it to a spiritual realm, it's about developing people, about growing folks, just like Jesus did with the disciples. Hey, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to show it to you, and then eventually I'm going to have you do it. And eventually you're going to be running the whole show all over the world, and your legacy is going to continue thousands of years later with us here today. So that's one definition of leadership, and it's really easy to see. And that's the big leadership right there, talking about Jesus' leadership and his lasting legacy on the earth. We're not doing that every single day, but we're doing a small part of that every single day. And that's the part I wanted to continue to relay is that we're all leaders. And let me tell you a little bit about how Jesus went about leading. First thing he did uh, is he dedicated himself to serving God's plan for his life. Summed up in John 5.19. So Jesus said, Now, this is out of the Passion Translation. I speak to you timeless truth. The Son is not able to do anything for himself or through my own initiative. I only do the works that I see the Father doing, for the Son does the same works as his Father. So when you're striving, um, or you're doing something, are you doing it for yourself, or are you doing it because the Father is leading you into that anointing, into that calling, whether uh, it is or isn't in your comfort level? That's the important part there, is that his vision, his path, his road was firmly founded in what God wanted for his life, and he was 100% receptive and obedient to it. That is somewhere I'd love to be, but it is a long journey, trying to die to yourself in order to selflessly serve what God has in his vision for your life. But it's also the key place to start. No matter how good your intention is, if you're doing it outside of God's will, I have pity on you because it's not going to work out well. You're going to be fighting against the world, doing it all by yourself in your own strength. And that's not where we want to be. So that's how Jesus started. Um, yep. The next thing he did is he got his band together. So he started gathering the disciples. What I love is uh, how he called Peter, James, and John. First, a miracle never hurts to start out, but also just the way he knew them. For James and John, he simply came up to them while they were mending their nets with their father and said, come with me, and they went, and they went on their three-year adventure that was absolutely incredible. And that's one thing I love about Jesus is his leadership style. We talk about Jesus meek and mild, or at least we used to, especially in the Catholic Church where I grew up, but I really prefer the way of seeing him as an adventurer. He was out there going amongst the people, leading a small ragtag band of guys who pretty much owned their clothes and not a whole lot else. And uh, they would go and go up against all the authorities, all the evils, all the demons, everything that was in their path, he would go up against fearlessly because he knew what his mission was in his life. And it took him all the way up to the cross and beyond. And he was more than happy to do that. If that's not adventurous, I don't know what is. All right. So... Part of that that we can take away is that it's important to know people's hearts, whether it's a peer relationship where it's me and another buddy of mine that are, you know, in the same line of work, getting to know who they are. Jesus had amazing spiritual insights. We don't always have that all the time. Some people are gifted with that, and God bless that. That is amazing. I am not. I have to work to get to know folks. Heck, I have to work just to know people's names some days. That it, yeah. You feel that, Grant? Thank you. Especially where I work, everybody's got their name right here, so it's not... One of those memory things we got to work on too much. So if I've ever forgotten your name, and I know I have, I'm sorry. It's my fault, 100%. But the lesson here is you want to get to know your people. Whether you're in charge officially or unofficially, you need to know your people. Start with their name is obviously a good place. But get to know what makes them tick, where they are in their life. Are they in their walk with God? Are they lost in that? Do they have no idea what it's about? Are they fighting so many issues on so many fronts? getting to know them and understand where they're coming from is key to loving them and remember what's the first uh, commandment there that jesus laid down he said uh serve the lord god and love him and then the 2nd sorry i'm paraphrasing here because i don't got it in front of me the second one was love your neighbor as yourself right it's hard to love somebody you don't know and if you're not making the effort to know them more are you really loving them I'm guilty as charged. There's so many people I wish I knew better and should have put more effort into that I've passed the opportunity in my life. But don't look on that with regret. Look at it on as opportunity. Good news, there's billions of people in the world. You're going to run into some of them every day, and you have that opportunity every day to invest into their lives in love. Starting with who are they? Where are they coming from? What do they need? What do you have that you can provide for them? Is it words of encouragement? Do they need just a hug? Do they need affirmation? Do they need information, be it uh, about the world, be it about heaven? Be willing to provide that. And that's a daily leadership thing we can do. Don't shy away from those opportunities. Oh, thanks, Grant. All right. Oh, one great example. My last uh, commander. The guy was uh, just electric. He would walk into the room and he was so motivational. And at first I thought, oh, it's just him. And, you know, he's just got this natural gift where he walks in and everything's amazing. It's like, no, actually, he spent a lot of time. It's taken me a couple of years to realize this. He spent a lot of time being with his people, spending time with them, knowing their name, knowing their families, knowing what they want to do in the next couple of years, knowing how they fit in, knowing how happy or unhappy they are where they, where they are at. And that's just inspired amazing loyalty. Even when he had to make decisions that we didn't like, we still understood he was coming from a place he had to do this. This thing had to happen. He's not lording over authority over us. He's not exercising it just to make our lives hard. He's doing it because this is what we have to do on our road, on our path, on our vision to get to where we got to go. Is it always pleasant? No, but when you have a leader that identifies with you, that knows you and loves you, It is so much easier to follow along. And this applies not just in the official terms, but in the unofficial. Like if I tell Natalie, hey, honey, I'm sorry, we're running short on funds. We need to cut out X, Y, and Z. No more date night for the next six months. It's not because I'm being a jerk. It's because we need to do this. And if I do it out of love and in mutual looking for what's good or looking out for what's best for both of us, that makes all the difference. Don't worry, honey. We're okay. Hallelujah. The Lord has great provision for everyone. Amen. All right. And if this makes you uncomfortable, especially in the work setting, like if you go up to your coworker and be like, hey, buddy, I love you. You're great. A better word might be value. So, hey, I really value you. I'm glad you're here. I like your contribution. You work hard. And it's. I'm so glad you're in the front row, McCovey, because this makes it a lot easier. You asked what you could do for me this morning? You're my great example. Your coworker Joe today. All right. So talking about loving your people, that's a great way into leadership. Next one, it's also in love, but a lot trickier is rebuking. Immediately you hear the word rebuking. You're like, ooh, I don't like that. That doesn't sound good. Anybody been on the end of a rebuke? Okay. Everybody has. Even if you don't remember it, it happened. At one point, your mom said, why did you spill that? It happened. Jesus rebukes throughout the Bible many times, and he rebukes a whole bunch of things: the disciples, the wind uh, out on the out on the Sea of Galilee, uh, demons, etc., etc. I'm going to focus on him rebuking his disciples, who he loved greatly, and I'm actually going to pick the harshest one that he had out of Mark 8:33. Oops, skip that one. Let's see. Turn along with me. Ah. So Jesus is prophesying his death and resurrection, and Peter just can't handle it. Peter looks to him, and uh, Peter takes aside Jesus and begins to rebuke Jesus, saying, Lord, these things will never happen. You will not die. You will not be tortured. I can only imagine the exact words, but that's what he's aiming at. And Jesus turns around and rebukes him. Let's see. And it says... I'll read the whole one. Let's see. But Jesus turned around, and glancing at all the other disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get out of my sight, Satan, for your heart is not set on God's plan, but man's. Ooh. Note two things there. He calls Peter Satan. That's got a sting. Second, he glances around, and all the 12 are there. He doesn't just go one-on-one and say, like, Hey, man, you really screwed up right there. We're not going to tell everybody, but I need you to not do that again. No, he lets in the whole party and says, Peter, Satan, get behind me. Ouch. Obviously a stinging rebuke. But it's still done out of love, and let me demonstrate how and why. Jesus knew these 12 disciples really well. He knew their hearts. He knew exactly who was going to betray him. He knew who they were and their relationship. So he said words that he knew Peter was going to be able to withstand. This didn't crush Peter. This awakened Peter. This made Peter realize, I am in the wrong. I need to do something different. That's the first part. Second part is this is firmly on that road. If Jesus had just kind of placated Peter and said, ah, you know, you're right. Everything will be okay. It would have been a rude awakening and absolutely devastating to the disciples when Jesus did die. It was a hard lesson for the disciples. Jesus tried to tell them time and time again that I am going to die. I'm going to raise again. These things are going to happen. And they had a horrible time accepting it even after it happened when they were hiding in the upper room. But this is tied once again to that road, to that path. Man's salvation could not come along if Jesus had survived. Cool. None of us are Jesus. So how do we relate this to our lives? There is still rebuking. There's a place for it and doing it in love. Um, And what was it? Hold on. I ain't that good, Grant. All right. Have you ever had to tell somebody a tough truth? Have you ever had to open their eyes? Worse yet, have you ever had that opportunity and passed it up? Yeah, because it's hard. Me too, on both accounts. Memory I have that I still wonder if I did the right thing. We had a, a student of mine who had a terrible problem lying. She would lie just to lie. I don't know, maybe enjoyed it, got a thrill out of it, th- thought something positive would come out, come out of it. I caught her in the lie, and then we built kind of this behavior she had of, hey, you've gotten used to doing this. You need to stop. What happened next? She cried in my office for like 15 minutes. It was horrendously uncomfortable. And the moment she started welling up, I was like, did I just do the right thing or the wrong thing? I'm not sure. In the long retrospect here, it's been, oh, seven or eight years. I think I did the right thing because she still got a job. So calling her out in that was the right thing to do. Did I do that to crush her? No, I did it so that she would clean up her act and not get fired. Kind of an important thing, so... So that's how you can do it. You'll help, you will have these opportunities. And I say with all caution, do it led by love and the Holy Spirit. Because everybody's been on the wrong end of a rebuke that was not out of love, even if they were trying to help you. So if it's said out of love and without the unctioning of the Holy Spirit, you are definitely in the wrong no matter how much you're trying to help somebody. So Jesus knew just how to do it. Why? Go back to the first point. He knew his people. He knew what they could take, and he knew what they needed. So rebuking, careful, careful, but very important. I think the missed opportunities are the ones I remember the best because then you watch that person walk into a brick wall they never saw coming. Like, oh, this guy's interpersonal skills or people skills are kind of lousy. Surely he knows. He'll figure it out. And he only figures it out by being absolutely crushed by life later on when we could have provided that gentle correction at an earlier point. All right, do, 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 do. All right. enough on rebuking, because that's not a fun one, but it's so important. Let's go to something else that Jesus did a ton of. More than rebuking, he was a teacher. They called him teacher. He was the great teacher. He knew the scriptures better than anybody else and had uh, heavenly insight into what they actually meant. The way he tied the Old Testament together was just, and still is, mind-blowing. Continues to put the world on its head, and I love that. And he taught, all the, uh, he taught the crowds, and he taught the disciples. And he taught them differently. To the crowds, he would uh, present the parables. For all of them, they would see the miracles in his works. And then later, he would call aside the disciples and say things like. Well, let's get into it real quick. So in Luke 11, he teaches them how to pray. Let's flip to Luke 11. I am way off my notes here, so give me a little bit here. Thanks, sir. And it's the first four uh, verses in chapter 11. Oh, there it is. Oops. Do you hate when that happens? <laughs> ah. So one day, as Jesus was in prayer, one of the disciples came over to him as he finished and said, Would you teach us, and this is out of the Passion Translation, a model prayer that we can pray? just like John did for his disciples. And then he goes on to teach them the Father's Prayer. So one key part of teaching there. Um, let's see, another one. He gave them authority and showed them how to cast out demons, and then they actually did it in Matthew 10:1. Hey, right there. Jesus gathered his 12 disciples and imparted to them authority to cast out demons and heal every sickness and disease. Now, remember, in all the previous chapters, Jesus has already done numerous miracles in all of their presence and explained to them what had happened. Like, uh, help me out here, Grant. Who did he heal? Where well, he healed the man with the withered hand, and then Jesus, uh, he was asked, well, who sinned, the man or his parents? And Jesus said, no one, actually. So he was using the opportunity to teach exactly what was going on in the heavenlies and in the spiritual realm by doing it in the natural. All right. Then he taught them the details of their parables in Matthew 13, verse 11. It just kind of alludes to one of them. He explained to the disciples, You've been given the intimate experience of insight into the hidden truths and mysteries of the realm of heaven's kingdom, but they have not. They, speaking to the crowd, when he was asked, Jesus, why do you keep teaching in these parables? He's explaining, well, that's for them and this more intimate uh, discussion is for you. Like, let me explain exactly what the parable of the sower means. He didn't do that for the crowds. He did it for the disciples. Why? He was growing the disciples to pick up his ministry and to establish his church on earth, and they needed that insight. Thanks, Richard. (laughs) And that was part of that teaching. So, What I noticed about Jesus' teaching is that he was okay also with the disciples not understanding what he was talking about. As we already talked about earlier, Jesus told them many times that he was going to suffer, die on, on the cross, and then be resurrected. And they didn't understand it first. I argue they didn't really understand it even after it had happened when Jesus had died. They were still wondering what had happened. Uh, the uh, The walk on the Emmaus Road with the two disciples, when they looked to each other and they said, and we thought he was the one. They still didn't get it. But that didn't stop Jesus from teaching them truth. Now, what can we take away from that in our daily life? Let's say I'm teaching my son how to tie his shoes. Someday we'll get to that. I know. Not yet, though. I'm teaching him... In the moment, hey, we're gonna do this, you make the bunny loop, it goes down the hole, whatever it is, you're doing that one small task. Let's teach them why it's important. Why do I want you to be able to tie your shoes? Well, son, I want you to be more independent. I want you to learn how to use knots. You know you can use these knots for all sorts of things, from sailing ships to binding up broken equipment. These are important skills that I want you to learn so you can interact with your world and be useful to people in a physical, hands-on sense. Cool. You can do the same thing. Like, let's say I'm a bricklayer. Okay, we're laying bricks today. Do I care? Well, you need to care about the next step. We're building bricks to build this wall. Why are we building this wall? To build this room. Why are we building this room? To build this building. Why are we building this building? Because this city needs a hospital. Why does this city need a hospital? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you ever had a kid ask you the endless why questions, why, 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 eventually, it is a beautiful thing if you have the patience for it. And God bless you all with amazing patience to understand that, even if you're not parents because you may have that opportunity in Children's Church with one of my three, and you're welcome. I bless you with that opportunity. Eventually, you get to the question of why is the world the way it is? And now we're getting at the bedrock of who is God? Why did he make things the way they are? And this is a beautiful teaching opportunity. So you can teach the how do you tie your shoes or why is God so good? Why does he love us so much? Why did he make the world the way it is? These are teaching opportunities, and Jesus took this opportunity time and time again, especially against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, saying, hey, you understand this letter of the law. Do you know what it means? Do you understand the implications? Do you know how wrong you are in thus and so? So Jesus took those opportunities as teaching, and we all have those. Now, you may only get to teach somebody a small thing in that moment, but that's all right. Do it in love. Teach them to do it well, and they'll probably come back to you for more. And as you get out of the hands-on physical realm. Eventually, you're going to get into the point of, hey, I wonder what I should do this weekend. I wonder what I should do with my life. I wonder what I should do with my finances, et cetera, et cetera. You're building that loving relationship that will allow you to be a leader in teaching. All right. On to the next point, comforting. Jesus did a lot of comforting. All of John chapter 14 Is titled, Jesus Comforts His Disciples. Obviously, an important topic if we spend a whole chapter all about it. So let's turn there. We're not going to read the whole chapter, though. Good news. See, John's the last one here. There we go. Chapter 14, verse 1 through 4 is the part I particularly liked. Don't worry or surrender to your fear. You've believed in God, and now trust and believe in me also. My Father's house is many dwelling places, if it were otherwise, I would tell you plainly, because I go to prepare a place for you to rest. And when everything is ready, I will come back and take you to myself, so that you will be where I am. And you already know the place, or know the way to the place where I'm going. Which is immediately followed by a question of, Master, I don't know what you're talking about. But that's not the important part. He's providing them comfort in the here and now, saying, I am with you. You have done well. You have believed in God. Good things are coming to you. And then he also points it down the road, saying, good news. I'm preparing a place for you. Well, where's this place? Well, it's in heaven. How are we getting there? I'll show you the way. When? Soon. Why? Well, as you see, the teaching comes up again and again and again, even in the comforting. And that's the beautiful part I love about Jesus' leadership is he very seamlessly blends all these things I'm talking about together. For us, for comforting, this is a world that's hurting. There is comfort needed on so many levels. People have suffered outrageously at the hands of the evil one, even believers. So we have so many opportunities. It's easy to relate this to children, because I'm surrounded by children most of my day at home. Um, skin knees, broken, broken hearts over little toys that broke, things like that. There's an immediate way to comfort them. Jesus provides an even greater comfort to all of us, which is the salvation of mankind. At my work, the big problem is divorce, quite honestly, between lots of leaving, lots of being gone, and a way too much worldly influence among our members, where I work. It's, uh, divorce is rampant, and people need comfort before, during, after. You can't always stop it. It's not up to me to cure the ails of somebody else's relationship, but I am there to love them. And not that doesn't mean side with one against the other, but just to provide them an example of God's love, that we are all valued members of his kingdom. He loves all of us whether we know it or not. Giving them those encouraging words, offering them opportunities to talk to you, and providing them with the good news. And it doesn't have to be oppressive. Be like, hey, your life sucks? Well, you need th- to do thus and so. No, it's being with them and letting them know that there is a better route. Even if it's just listening, that's the perfect way to start and doing it out of love. I don't know if it's selfless leadership or love leadership, quite honestly. But there are two in the same. So that's comforting. Oh, and the best line I like out of uh, John fourteen eighteen is, I will not leave you as orphans in the NIV and in the Passion. I promise that I will never leave you helpless or abandon you as orphans. I will come back to you. And that's a great promise for all of us. So I really dig that one. All right. So next one I want to talk about is just Jesus' selflessness. Obviously, there's the ultimate sacrifice. He gave up his life. He gave up everything he had in this world for heavenly reward and to save all of us from our sins. Not bad. Pretty awesome. Um, but a more down-to-earth example I love is John 13:5, which is right around the corner here. Then he poured the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet and dry them with his towel. What a perfect um, vision or illustration there of Jesus combining humility with love. He was doing a job that nobody liked to do for anybody, honestly. People didn't even like to do it for themselves, but he was willing to do that. Get down on his knees and wash his followers' feet because he loved them deeply and because he didn't value himself more than he valued them. Then he turned it into a teaching moment and said, this is the example I want you to set. So here we are departing again. We got worldly leadership on the left that says, no, you wash my feet. Then we got heavenly leadership on the right saying, I wash your feet. I selflessly serve you. I do this as a symbol so that you would be taught to love others as well as I love you which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, this ties in also into Matthew 7, 12, where he says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. So we're jumping to a different part there, obviously, talking about the golden rule, do unto others as you want done unto you. Jesus exemplified that just amazingly well. How can we do this? Real simple, do the chores at home you don't like to do. Especially if your spouse doesn't like to do them, pick up that cross and bear it. I know it's small, but when Natalie and I were married, I was lousy at the chores. I was used to my bachelor lifestyle. Everything was dirty, everything was in piles, everything smelled, and it was just fine. So it took some dying to myself to be like, I will do those dishes. I will take out that trash. I will do thus and so. Not because I'm getting great pleasure out of it, but because I love you. Because your joy is important to me. Your heart is important to me. This expands beyond this. There was a great example by Ron White. Ron or Rob White? Ron White. Help me out here, honey. The guy with the dreadlocks. Todd White. Thank you, sir. On on point here. You're doing great, man. Todd White. Thank you. So he's an evangelist, a preacher, really powerful guy, done a lot of healing, has some great videos out there, came from a totally messed up uh, background, saved by Jesus, radically reformed his life. Awesome dude. So there he was working on the job one day, and he had a, a co-worker he was with who was old and crotchety, beyond old and beyond crotchety, and they're doing manual labor. And Todd takes every opportunity to help this guy do his job on top of his normal work, because he loved him, even though this old man was not receptive in any way until way into their relationship together, he did it selflessly out of love, and we're all called to do that, and we all have opportunities to do that. Because the moment you see it, you say, "I don't want to do that," but there's a great opportunity in that to die to yourself just a little bit, and find a way to do that. If you look over and you see your coworkers just drowning in work, like, "Huh, I could take an extra long lunch today," or I'll take that one off the top and see if I can help you out. So think about that, because it beats washing your coworker's feet, which is what Jesus would have done. So lots of opportunities out there that are slightly more acceptable. You're welcome. All right. So uh, the other way. Uh oh. There we go. Also, Jesus compared himself to a shepherd in John 10:11. So, in fact, he, it's a very short one, but he calls himself the good shepherd because he lays his life down for his sheep. So that's in the grandiose, hey, there's nothing greater than to die for your, die for your friend or your brother. Uh, there's no love, greater love than this, excuse me. Um, but also, the shepherd's another symbol for his leadership, watching over the flock day and night. I know we don't like the illustration of us all as sheep, But it's not a bad one when you think that Jesus is with us every step of the way and we have the option to listen to him or not. So there you go. All right, last point of leadership. Is there a time limit on this thing? Okay, sweet. All right, last uh, point is something I've already mentioned several times, the road. Where are we going? Why does this all matter? Uh, The way I would spin it is call it vision. So if you're in leadership, you have vision. If I'm leading my little two-year-old who's teething right now, I still have a vision for his life. If I have a relationship with a friend of mine outside of church, outside of work, I still have a vision for what this relationship looks like regardless of where it is. Maybe right now all we talk about is football, but someday we're going to talk about something more. That's not a bad thing or just being there for him. Yep, ability to work towards a future goal. So even if the leader is the only one that knows it, although that doesn't work out the best usually. Jesus gave the example of teaching over and over and over again, this is where we're going. This is why I'm here. This is why you are here. This is what I'm teaching you. This is why it all matters. Did it sink in? Eventually. Eventually. And that's a key part. He sent the he took the disciples and he sent them out twice on their own missionary trips if you will before Jesus went to the cross kind of as a warming up for this vision where they were going to be the pilgrim church here on earth keeping it alive and spreading the good news for the next 2000 years so that was his vision establishing the church on earth freeing freeing god-fearing people from religion and into true relationship with God what a vision it's amazing. We all have a small piece of that, and we're all a part of that. And we also have different ones. Like I talked earlier about, okay, I'm a bricklayer. Well, we're building a, uh, a hospital. Cool. Not a bad one. Or for your children, how are you going to raise them up, what your children are going to be like. Uh, basically, the entire book of Acts is a witness that Jesus had loved, trained, taught, and then invested with authority all of his disciples to carry on that vision that Jesus had started by himself – with God, all the way through till today. It's pretty awesome. So if you're thinking about, hey, what's my vision? Well, uh, in our family, we have a vision or mission statement for every year. That's one way to do it, or just to think about where you want to be in the next year, five years, ten years, spiritually, economically, physically, etc, all about having those goals. so a leader is, has a purpose that they're doing all of these other actions. Why am I teaching? Why am I comforting? Why am I? God bless you. Why am I rebuking? Why am I doing these things? It's because I have a greater purpose and calling from God, and I'm walking it out in this way. Hey. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Cool. Hey, it's all God. It ain't me. I am so far off my notes right now. The Holy Spirit is guiding this conversation, and I'm endlessly thankful because I'm woefully ill-equipped. Thank you, Father. All right. All right. So, talked about, yeah, all the different small pieces of Jesus that uh, we're talking about. One scripture that I love that illustrates that this is just the broad brush stroke over everything. This is just me speaking in a finite amount of time about the eternal truths that Jesus espoused, lived, and taught to us. Uh, my favorite passage here is John twenty-one twenty-five. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So this is by no means the be-all, end-all, authoritative version. This is me scratching the tip of an iceberg the size of Jupiter. So please, if you found something interesting, if it tickled your heart, if it got you excited, dive in with both feet. If you want to ask me about where I got some of this stuff, it was a combination of my life, my wife, and Google. All under God's heavenly leadership, praise Jesus. All right. So what would I like to do right now? Um, If you don't mind, have everybody stand up and just pray real quickly. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for your spirit coming into this household, your truth being espoused upon us, dear Heavenly Father. I bless each and every member of this congregation with just an awakening in their life, a realization that they are leaders here today, tomorrow, and forever, invested with your heavenly purpose, dear Lord, that you would just ignite in them the opportunity to bless others, dear Heavenly Father. Save souls, win, win win victories for the kingdom, expand that kingdom, Lord, to deepen their relationship with you, and I pray a mighty blessing upon all of them, dear Heavenly Father, that they would continue to be exposed to revelation, your heavenly revelation, Lord, that the world has shortcomings that only you can fill, Lord, and that relationship with you is paramount, and that they are mighty in walking in that vision that you have invested into their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.